Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Yeah, my name's Nick, if we haven't met before. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Hills Baptist. We've been working through a series on the resurrection, reclaiming the resurrection, a topic I don't think we talk about enough. Uh, so we've been working through 1 Corinthians 15, looking at the reality of the resurrection. It was a real event that actually happened. We talked about the priority of the resurrection. It's important to our understanding of God and who we are. And then last week, we looked at the power of the resurrection. What does the resurrection actually mean for us? And the hope that we have to, in the same power, ourselves be resurrected into new bodies, uh, spiritual and physical, uh, when Jesus returns. And we, um, we asked the question, what happens after death, uh, after we die? And now we've had... Um, uh, a significant death in, in the world this past week, the Queen's uh, death. And um, certainly my social media has um, it's been reminding me almost constantly. And there's been mixed reactions to that. I've been finding it really interesting. There's a lot of uh, memorial, a lot of celebration of her life. But then also a lot of um, criticism of what uh, the Queen represented, um, uh, rightly or wrongly, uh, you know, the, the um, uh, colonialization of different lands and, and things like that. Now, not all colonialization is bad, but certainly with it has come a lot of injustice, uh, of displacement, of um, cruelty, of evil. And it's, it's, a, it's a reminder that not only um, the mortality of human beings, but also the nature of the world we're in. It's... It's not right. There's, there's this groaning of the world, both in creation, both but within society, of a need for something more, for things to be restored, for things to be fixed, for justice, for mercy, for healing. And so what we're going to talk about today in the, in the light of the resurrection is what's the fate of the world what is God's ultimate plan for the world? And um, so in order to do that, we're going to take a, a deep dive into the Bible and cover a start at the beginning, end of the end, um, but won't read, read it all. Uh, we're going to look at what's the purpose of the world, what's the problem, and then what's God's plan. What's the purpose, the problem, and then God's plan. And generally, uh, to, when we're thinking about the purpose of something, we go to its origin story. And in Genesis uh, is the the case of the origin story of the earth. And uh, if you've been around Christian circles for a, for a while, you've probably heard uh, the story of creation, that God created the world in six days. In the first three days, he created the three realms of creation. And the next three, he filled those realms. Um, but what, what I want to put to you is uh, there's actually something else going on behind the story that the first readers who are Jewish would have, would have recognized something, would have seen something, it would have piqued something in their brains uh, that, they, that there's something they're very, very familiar with. And that's the temple. 
So the Genesis was written to a Jewish audience, and uh, the uh, they had the temple. Now the temple roughly was breaking out, breaking up into uh, the outer courts, and then the inner courts, and then the sanctuary. And the purpose of the te- temple was for God to dwell with His people. And that was very clear uh, through. Um, how the temple's built, all the ornaments around it, and then God physically in a cloud descending into the temple. So for, for Jews and uh, for the Jewish people, uh, the temple represented God's presence, God dwelling with his people. Now, if you, you take that imagery and you, you read Genesis 1 with that same thinking, you recognize a pattern. The first, on the first day of creation, God created, uh, he said, let there be light. He created light and dark. And on the corresponding day, day four, he uh, fills it with, uh, with stars, the sun and the moon. And there you have the, the outer court, the outer elements of space. Next, uh, on the second day, he creates sky and water. He separates the waters. And on the third day, he separates water from the land. He creates land. And it's effectively... Uh, reflecting that that temple idea of the outer court, the inner court, and the sanctuary. And again, you, in the second, the next chapter in the in uh, where it describes the Garden of Eden. Um, first, there's the whole earth, and then God creates the Garden of Eden, a place for His people to dwell. And then there's the tree of life, and also the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right in the center. Again, reflecting that temple imagery. And so the purpose, uh, what, what, what this is saying and what this is teaching the original readers is the purpose of all creation, its goal, where its, its end, what it's working towards is the presence of God. That God desires to dwell with his people in his creation. And then he gives, uh, he gives human beings a task in Genesis 1, uh, verse um, uh, 28, he, God, uh, well, let's go from 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it and work it. Rule over the fish in the sea and in the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. He gives people, human beings, a job to rule over the land, to work it, to subdue it, to fill it. And if, if, the, if creation is a temple, then that kind of puts people as priests to work in the temple. Now, this is before the sacrificial system. So, we, so the, the role of the priest is not to go and make sacrifices. What is the role of priests in a temple aside from making those sacrifices? is to care for and maintain the temple, to make sure it's up to a standard that's worthy of God's presence. And so the role of human beings is cultivating creation for God's presence. Cultivating creation for God's presence. And this is pre-fall. It's like um, uh, we've got some families who've recently had recently had babies. Uh, Nikki and Dennis are expecting one very soon. And uh, part of the process of having a baby is preparing the room that you're going to put the baby in. 
And um, and and you know, you, you think of the experience of having a first child, and um, it's not their first, but uh, in where you set up the nursery, you you maybe you paint it, you build the cot, and you're preparing a room for the child, the coming child. Similarly, if if um, if someone important is coming over to your house, then you spend some effort cleaning it up and making sure that the driveway's clear and, and may, maybe even setting aside a car park for them. And this idea of, of preparing a space for the honored guest. And that's our role, that's human beings' role for creation, cultivating creation, working creation to prepare it for God's presence. Because one thing that I've observed, and we'll, we'll talk about this later, um, in the Garden of Eden, like that first place that God created for the world, you know, before the fall, before the problem we'll get to, is God visited his people. He didn't dwell with his people. It wasn't, the Garden of Eden wasn't the final destination that we messed up. God had something greater planned that we are working towards, that he's working towards. And we'll get there. But, um, so that's the purpose of creation. But of course, that's not how things have worked out, is it? The story uh, continues in, in the, the third chapter, talks about the fall, what's known as the fall, the first sin. And instead of cultivating creation for God's presence, those first human beings took it upon themselves uh, to choose right and wrong from themselves, to, to be deceived into thinking what God said was not right and abusing creation for their own preference, their own uh, desires and needs. And so the problem is we haven't been fulfilling our purpose. And in fact, we've instead of uh, preparing the world for, for God to come and, and dwell and to ascend his throne, we've decided to sit on the throne ourselves. And, and, and use and abuse and, and um, uh, take advantage of the gifts and the life that God's given for our own purposes. We've all sinned. We've all turned away from God. And the effect of that, the effect of that is God has cursed the land. God has cursed um, the world. In Genesis 3, um, as the story go, he curses the serpent who deceived Adam and Eve. He curses uh, Eve, who was the first one to, to eat the fruit and disobey. But he curses Adam, and this is the, the one I'll read. He says, um, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat pl- the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground." Uh, since from it you were taken. From dust you are, and to dust you will return. So one effect of the fall we talked about last week is that that um, because of our sin, we'll be separated from God, separated from the God who breathed life into us. And so body and spirit will be separated. We'll go and return to the dust, the tragedy of death. But not only humans are cursed, but the world, the ground is cursed. Creation didn't do anything wrong, yet the impact of our sin has impacted the whole world. Creation has been cursed. And so it's no longer fit for God's presence. 
is corrupted. There's evil in the world. And, and, and a holy, perfect God cannot dwell in the same presence as evil. And so creation is not fit. It's not right. We haven't been cultivating creation for his presence. We haven't been doing our job and, and creation as we can see throughout the world, both the injustice in the world, but also all the disasters and the, the trouble. Um, it's not fit. It's not ready for God's presence. And so what's God going to do? What will he, will he do? Maybe, maybe an easy solution for him would be to just wipe it out and start again. Destroy entirely and, and uh, create something brand new. And that is, um, it is what some people believe what will happen in the end, that the earth will be entirely destroyed and disregarded. And, and, yeah, entirely destroyed and disregarded. And uh, God creates something brand new for his people. Uh, or another um, mentality we seem to have is uh, the solution is that God, that, that God has heaven up there. And then once, once we've done our time on earth and if we trust in Jesus, he'll bring us to heaven and we'll spend eternity with God in heaven. And that's not, that's not actually true. That's not actually what the Bible teaches. God's ultimate plan for the world is something else than destroying and disregarding or having a whole other place for us to be. He created a world for a purpose and God's purposes will always be fulfilled. So let's have a look. What is God's ultimate plan for the world? What will happen in the end? Now, a great place to turn to figure out what happens in the end is the end of the book. So... Let's turn to Revelation 21. Revelation is the last book of the Bible. So the apostle John got this vision, a revelation. It literally means vision, uh, an unveiling, a revealing of the end, of what God will come and do. There's a whole heap of crazy stuff in there uh, that I'd love to work through one time, but we'll just uh, stick to the end. Um Verse 21, 1 to 4. We'll read this and then we'll unpack what is God's plan for the world, his ultimate plan for the world. Verse 21, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the, say, from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Now, there's three things I want to take away and observe from uh, the end of the story. And the first one is uh, God's plan for creation is a new heaven, new earth, a new creation. Now, if we read what the text says, it says, and I saw a new heaven and new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Now that sounds a lot like that God will uh, get rid of the original and replace with something brand new. 
and, um, and, and again, like I said, some people do believe that is how God will work things out in the end. And there's texts like this and, and, and one other text that does suggest that clearly off the page. But when you understand the whole story of the Bible, that doesn't fit the narrative. That doesn't fit the story, God's plan. There's, a, there's quite a few issues with this. The first thing is, why does God get rid of the first heaven? If heaven is, is where he is, why does he remove heaven entirely? Heaven hasn't done anything wrong. No one in heaven has done anything wrong. Why does he destroy heaven? The other thing is his intended purpose of creation. The first creation, the original. It's, God doesn't have a plan B. His plan A will be fulfilled. And he's got a purpose for creation. And Romans, um, Romans 8 talks about creation groaning for the fulfillment of that purpose. Romans 8 from verse 19 says, For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. The end of creation is not destruction, but liberation, freedom from the bondage and decay and freedom from the curse. And so does that mean that that there will be no judgment and no fire or no cleansing? Well, no. Other scriptures, we've got to balance this with, with other scriptures. There's 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. And this is the other passage that talks about the earth being destroyed. Peter, 2 Peter 3 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The, the elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. And the whole... Uh, push and the whole drive of, of 2 Peter 3 is we can't deny judgment. We can't deny that God will come and he will judge the world, not just people, but the world. And so how do we balance these two things that, that, that God will come and judge the world, will cleanse the world with fire in the language that's used, but he will also liberate the world. How do those two things make sense? They make sense through the frame of the power of the resurrection. And that's how we come back to the main theme of the series. We understand what's going to happen to creation through the lens of Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, let, me, let me show you. I've got a few um, diagrams. If we take Jesus' uh, Jesus's death and resurrection, Jesus was God. But then he descended, he became human. And though he lived a perfect life, he took on the sin, he took on all the, the, the guilt and the shame and the curse of, of human beings, the curse of creation, and he died and he was buried. The, 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 the dark pit of, of despair, of being dead, separated from God. But on the third day, praise the Lord, he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. And, uh, and, and he rose from the dead, and that was the same body, but it was transformed. It was different. We talked about this last week. If you go to the next slide. Humanity will follow in that same path, in that same pattern. 1 Corinthians 15 says that uh, Christ is the first fruits 
of the resurrection. He was the first, but we will all follow. So we were created in God's image, but we sinned. We, we chose not to live for God, but to live for ourselves. And that, so there's sin and separation from God. And the effect of that is death. We return to the dust from which we come. But praise be to the Lord, Jesus brought victory through the same power of the resurrection. We too will be raised up and we'll be raised to the same power in the same nature and will be restored and renewed. And it'll be uh, the same body as before, but transformed. And so humanity will be resurrected into a new creation. And so we, we also apply this to Creation, all the whole earth, the heavens and the earth. Creation in the beginning is referred to as a paradise. It was perfect. It was, it was worthy of God's presence. He wasn't dwelling with that in, in there yet, but it was, it was there. But then the problem, the sin and the curse. And the impact of that, the consequence of that is judgment. Judgment is necessary because of the sins of humanity. But that's not where God leaves things. He doesn't just judge and then destroy and disregard and start again with something new. He's, he has a purpose for this world. And that purpose is fulfilled through the power of the resurrection. All creation will be made new. Revelation 21 says a new heaven and a new earth. And that new, the word for new isn't necessarily brand new, something different, but renewed, restored, as if it's been made new again. And so we're in the new creation. There's continuity. It's the same earth. It's the same land that we'll be there. We're walking and sitting in right now. It's this earth, God's plan A, but it'll be transformed. It'll be judged. There will be a, 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 an element of, of judgment and cleansing because the curse has to be undone. The curse has to be fixed and, and made right. And so there will there'll be continuity. There will also be discontinuity. There will be something different in the new creation, the new heavens and new earth. And we see in verse 4, God will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death. No more death. No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. It will be this world, this physical world we, we live in and breathe in and feel and touch, but it will be transformed. And even like thinking, thinking this through, will weather be different? You know, tornadoes, cyclones, tsunamis. Well, there, there'll be no more of those. The, the, the curse of the world will, will be restored. And like for any anyone with a science background would think, well, that's part of nature. There has to be those kind of things. Well, in the new creation, nature will be transformed. It'll be the same world, but it will be different. Now, I don't know how that works out. <laughs> but it will be transformed. It's the same, but transformed. Just as like Jesus, just like the hope that all of we have. It's the same hope for creation. The next thing uh, to observe from, from Revelation 21 is that 
verse 2, that next verse, I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. The new Jerusalem descends, Jerusalem being the capital city of Israel and often used to represent uh, the people of Israel uh, um, and sometimes in the New Testament representing uh, the people of God. But there is this question of, okay, so if a new Jerusalem descends onto earth, is it a physical city? Because if you keep reading Revelation 21, it's got this really a uh, detailed description of the city, of uh, a city with uh, incredibly uh, high walls. And um, I think it's, yeah, it's like 2,200 kilometers wide and, um, uh, and high. And it's just, an in, in, it goes into incredible detail. So is it a physical city that will come and, and exist on earth? Maybe, probably not. Because Revelation is very uh, image-based, image-driven. Is it representative of the people of God? It's described as a bride dressed for her husband. And we know, like in, in the New Testament, that's often how the church is described, is the bride of Christ. The one that Christ is set apart and promised and committed to and, and we will be united in the new creation. Is it the people of God? I wonder, or is it, could it be both? There's not just the people of God as individuals, but the people of God as a community, as a culture, as a city of God. If you understand in the, in the full story of Revelation and what Revelation talks about different, at different parts, the city of Jerusalem, this new Jerusalem, is compared to Babylon, what Revelation refers to as Babylon, which is representative of the prevailing culture and community and city that Christians find themselves in and part of and, and have to uh, persevere and endure through. But God promises a new city that we won't exist as individuals, but we will exist as a community, as a culture, as a city. And I do think there will be culture and things to do, and things to create. I do think there will be economy and industry and work in the new creation. There will be things to do as we continue that work of cultivating creation for God's presence, cultivating the new creation for God's presence. But there'll be a difference. And that difference is that God's presence would be realized. The third thing to observe from uh, this passage and the most exciting part, I think, of the whole Bible is that God will dwell on earth with his people. The whole purpose of creation fulfilled. The voice comes from heaven, uh, sorry, from the throne uh, saying, look, God's dwelling place is now with the people. That which separated God from his people has been, has been fixed, has been sorted out, has been forgiven. Creation that was meant to have been cultivated for him, God has recreated himself through the power of the resurrection to a place where he can not just visit from time to time like he did in Eden, but he could dwell, he could live 
with his people. New creation, the the idea of, of eternity with God is not just going back to how things were in Eden before we mess it all up with the fall. It's actually going forward to something greater, something bigger, something amazing. Not just a garden, but a garden city, how, how some refer to it. That we would dwell with God, in partnership with God, ruling over the earth. And so what? what, what what's the impact of all this? How, how should this affect how we think, what we do, what we say uh, on earth today? Quite a lot, uh, but I've got a couple of things uh, to suggest. The first thing is if, if you feel discontent with the world, if there's a part of you that feels like something is missing, is missing, if you look out into the world and you just feel hopeless and if there's a sense of, of um, loss or anxiety or depression that, that we're not fulfilling our purpose, it's because we're not home yet. It's because that we, we haven't fulfilled our purpose yet. It's because God's purpose for creation has not been fulfilled yet. But we have a hope that God will fulfill his purpose. That what God created us to do, he would do. That creation that groans to be liberated from its frustration, from the pain, from the injustice, God will liberate the world. We have a home with God. We're just not there yet. But one of the great promises, one of the great realities that Jesus gave before he, he left, uh, before he died and rose again and ascended into heaven, uh, in John 14, he says that he will go ahead of his disciples and prepare a place for them. Now, it's not so much he's preparing a mansion or a house in heaven way up here, but the place that God people will dwell, the, the purpose, the, the promise is dwelling with God. And our home is with God. And Jesus has gone before us to prepare us for it. And he's done the work to enable us to, to, to live with God. But not only that, Jesus promises that he will make his home in us by, by coming and dwelling in us, in our hearts, through the Holy Spirit. So we're not home yet because our home is in this new creation that God, where God will restore all things. But God is home in us. And the Spirit exists as a guarantee, as a promise to remind us that we're not home yet. And our home is not where we are. Our home is where God is, our ultimate home. And it's not up there, but it's here on earth. This earth is our home. It's just that God isn't here yet. So it's, 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 it's like thinking this is a house, but it's not our home. You know, what makes a home is the people you live with, not, not the building and the bricks and the, the roof. This is our house, but, but it's not a home yet. But God has promised to return. And so that, that's the next thing it leads us to think about is, well, what will last 
on this earth? What will last into eternity? The things we do, the things we build, the, 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 our achievements, the work we do, what will last? What matters eternally? And I think what matters is what we're doing to cultivate creation for God's presence. What matters is are we making the world a better place in preparation for God to come? A great, um, uh, one of the readers I read, uh, Kolesker, I think his name was, uh, he, he, he makes this comment of thinking about our work and what we do during the day and, uh, you know, at home or in employment or whatever. He asks a question, are we making the world a better place or a worse place? Are we doing work that feeds the poor or starves the poor? Are we doing work that grows creation or destroys creation? I think that's really a helpful framework to think about what we do for our vocation, for our careers, for work. Is Because it does matter. It does matter what we do. Are we doing things that feed the poor or starve the poor? I think it's a really challenging question. And so we need to think carefully about the work we do and what will last, what won't last, what does matter, what doesn't matter. But one of the things I, I do want to say is that, is that our work does matter. Working as an engineer, as an accountant, as a teacher, all that kind of stuff. Work matters. And there's some Christians, some pastors out there uh, who, who, who say and, and have written in books that work only exists so that you can go and you can preach the gospel, you can um, evangelize and convert other people. Now that's true and a valuable thing. And I think we should all be really eager and investing in the relations at work so we can share the gospel. But God doesn't put you in your workplace just to evangelize and your work you're actually doing doesn't matter. Your work matters. Your work is valuable. You can be, you can be proud of the work that you do in a, in a, in a godly sense uh, if it makes the world a better place, if the work you're doing is cultivating creation, both maybe economically, maybe socially, maybe physically for God's presence. And so the work we do can, can do that, can cultivate creation for God's presence. We can create beauty, create works of art that, that are aesthetically pleasing, that reflects God's own creative power and bring glory to Him. We can bring healing to people. We can uh, invest in an economy that can raise people out of poverty. We can uh, invest in things that heal creation. The work we do matters. And the, la the last thing I'll, I'll, I'll observe and, and talk about is the world we live in matters. Creation matters. Something that um, we talk a lot of, well, maybe we don't talk a lot about, uh, but we certainly accept the idea that God gives us our money and our resources and we should be good stewards of money. We should, um, we should use our money well and not... not uh, be unwise with it, not spend it, not be uh, selfish with it, but be generous. Ben um, read one, 2 Corinthians 9, we should be generous with our money and be good stewards with our money. 
but God has also given us creation to dwell and to rule in. We should be good stewards of creation. We should be good stewards of creation. Stewards of the land we live in, stewards of the food that we consume, stewards of the resources we use, the fuel, the energy, money, all of it. God has gifted us to use and to lead in and to cultivate for his presence. We should be good stewards. And so this relates to uh, creation care. And I think, I think God does care about the creation. We should be concerned about things like climate change and about uh, waste management, uh, about um, recycling, about how, you know, carpooling and, and, and our fuel use and our energy consumption. And there's no easy fix to this. It takes sacrifice. I was reading, um, yeah, I've got time for this. I've got, I was reading recently, um, there's this, uh, this scientific... Um, pioneering discovery where they these you know these uh, aeronautical engineers at NASA or somewhere um, have designed a effectively a solar umbrella so this this satellite they'll go into space and then create a massive sail that'll act like an umbrella to um, reduce the number of uh, to reduce the amount of UV radiation from the sun on earth and effectively solve climate change and I think you know, great. The problem with that, though, is that it's, well, one, I don't reckon it'll work. <laughs> um, well, I'm no, I'm no aeronautical engineer, but I, or aerospace engineer, but it just, it just doesn't take any sacrifice for us. It's a cheap fix. Creating for the creation, cultivating God's land requires sacrifice. Trying to find an easy fix is being selfish. It's back to the core problem abusing creation for our own preference and need and desire. And I think as we address uh, climate change, as we address caring for the creation, it's the responsibility of the rich to take more action because we have more opportunity and more gifts. Ultimately, Jesus will return. And, and we can't fix creation. We can't undo the problem of sin. We can't solve creation. We're not, the solution isn't us. Jesus is the one who will come and he will judge the world. He will cleanse the world. And through the power of the resurrection, he will renew the world. But he's invited us to partner with him. Our purpose that is ultimately through, fulfilled in Jesus is to cultivate creation for God's presence. So are we up to that challenge? Are we ready for his return? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the power of the resurrection, that it doesn't just mean that those who trust in Jesus, are we ourselves will be made new and restored and healed and forgiven, but all of creation through that same power will be restored and healed. And Lord, there is such a great problem that selfish hearts in each one of us who've turned away from you, and the, the, the consequence of that, the the destruction, the pain uh, across all of creation. Lord, we, we're sad. It, it breaks our heart to see so much suffering in the world. 
to see death, to see hunger, poverty. Lord, we know your purpose for the world will be fulfilled, that you will come and dwell with your people on earth. And we look forward to that day and we say, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus and restore and heal and judge as scary as that is, but restore, restore and, and fulfill your purpose for the world. And Lord, in the meantime, we pray you would help each one of us uh, work towards that goal in partnership with you, knowing that we're not the ones to, to we're not the solution but you invite us into it to work with you, not against you. And so Lord, reveal the spaces in our lives where we have been selfish, where, where we have had that, ish, that attitude of, of abusing creation for our own preference rather than cultivating creation for your presence. And Lord, we confess those, those areas and we pray for your forgiveness and we, we, we repent and we resolve to change, Lord Jesus. We look forward to your return. We look forward to that new creation. What a glorious, amazing place it will be. The fulfillment of all your promises. That, that holy city, the new creation, where you will dwell, not just visit, not just through your spirit, but physically with us for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.